It's another edition of the Ramp Check Podcast. Welcome aboard. I'm your captain, Tony Rumfalo. <laughs> wow, they just keep getting better and better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah this is Aaron Rumfalo. You're hey, now free to introduce yourself. Little brother, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. What's your last name, Ryan? Oh, wait. Uh, we, Rumfalo. We covered that last podcast. I did cover it, yes, so thanks for remembering. You're um, welcome. We also have a fourth with us today, Tony. Yes, what? we have a guest in studio. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> thanks for blowing my eardrums out. Is that how you're supposed to say it? <laughs> we have a guest in studio. His name right, is... Aaron. Let's let Aaron introduce him, and then he can yes. talk about himself <clears throat> Okay, bit. perfect. That's right. So... Good buddy of mine goes way back, and hey, uh, he's a buddy of mine. Too. Well, he, true, but I met him first. Okay, all right, sorry. And so he's kind anyway. of a buddy of mine too. I've met Hess. A I know, times. I know, I know, and okay. Let me restart that. Okay, he's so a now, good buddy of all of us, but I met him first because I used to work with him at the ramp at Salt Lake International Airport when I very first started working there, uh, for a, a company called Hudson General, actually. And uh, this is my hour, excuse me, good buddy, <laughs> Ken Hess. I just call him Hess. Welcome. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> yes, it's awesome um, to finally, because we've been talking about having him on for a while, and right. uh, we finally were able to uh, connect, and we're going to talk all kinds. He's, uh, he's a pilot. He has been for years, it seems. Um and uh, he flies helicopters, actually, for a local uh, medical helicopter company here. So if you're going to really fuck it up on the roads, um, you know, he's there to pick you up because he does that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, have, I have a lot of fun stories to tell. I also used to work. Uh, there was one time where the three of us actually worked at the same time. Right. It was very short-lived, but... Uh, we all worked for the same company for a while, um, so there's a lot of fun stories. We obviously won't get him in, in, get into them all, but enough hearing from us. Hess, well, why don't you just uh, before before Hess starts? I have oh, a fun okay. story with him too. Yeah. So I before we get started, you know, you guys said, "Oh yeah, well we work with him and we've known." I have a fun story with Hess too. Um, Remember that bachelor party in Vegas? <laughs> no. Yes, I do. <laughs> Some of it. I, re- I remember the first part. <laughs> That's true. I forgot. I forgot about that. Yeah, all right. Anyway, Sorry. Fun. I just but anyway. I just wanted to I was feel going included to too. Say before I before Tony let us know about his experience was why don't we turn it over to Hess for a minute, and why don't you just kind of give us uh, a little bit of your background, how you got into aviation, uh, your a little bit of your history, and like what you do now, and yeah, take it we away. can talk about some stories too. Well, I, I suppose it all started when I was. 
let's let's start the fire, kick back, get okay. the blanket, you know, get the cigar out. Let's um, just stop right there. No, I'm kidding. Um, he just got out a pipe and put his arm up on the fireplace. Oh, yeah, pipe. So my, back uh, in I, I, 1974, my parents met, and, and no, sorry. Right. Yeah, I remember going to the prom with my dad and coming home with my mom. <laughs> Yeah, I remember as as a real young kid, I actually had this fascination for trains, and I always wanted to work for the railroad. And then in second grade, I went to a friend's birthday party, and his mom got him a toy F fourteen, and it had a little handle on it. Oh, it would, nice! You could push buttons, and the lights would flash, and it was just the coolest damn thing I've ever seen. I think I, I know what toy those. you're talking about. I, I remember that. They called something fighter. Yeah. Or... And you could detach the the handle off the back, and then you could just yeah. play with the anyway. Yeah, anyway. and and so at that second grade birthday party, I mean that was when my love for trains really went away, and my love for aviation <laughs> took over, and it's been full speed ever since. Um, I ended up uh, starting to fly airplanes uh, as a teenager, and then realized that that was expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I joined the Army with the hopes to go to, to flight school in the Army, and I ended up uh, spending the first 10 years of my military career as an Apache mechanic, and then submitted for flight school, went off to Fort Rucker, Alabama, and was down there for a, a spell. Uh, went through flight school, started flying Blackhawks, spent some time in Iraq, spent some time in Afghanistan flying, um, became instructor pilot, the standardization instructor pilot for my, my unit, and then... Uh, Towards the end of my military career, pushing the twenty-year mark, I damn twenty years. I wow, was in the 20, damn. 21 and a half years. <laughs> we're all getting old. Uh, <clears throat> didn't realize that we're old. Yeah, we are getting old. Um, so yeah, I started to kind of think about the idea of breaking into <clears throat> civilian flying, and there happened to be a job uh, come open locally, and and locally we're here in Salt Lake City, in Utah. Salt Lake City, yep. yeah. Um, I. Uh, I had about three years left uh, before I wanted to retire, and I, I didn't think for one second that I would get the job, and so I just thought I'd like the experience of applying for a civilian job since I've been military the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I submitted an application, and I got a phone call, said I'd, they'd like to interview me, so I went for the interview. Um, didn't think much of it, uh, because I know that there were, there were others probably with more experience, and certainly with civilian experience. And uh, about three or four days went by, I got another call for a second interview, and I thought, hey, that's kind of cool. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. they're, maybe they're narrowing it down. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I went for the second interview, and uh, it was just a few days after that, I got a phone call and was offered the job, and I thought, well, this isn't good, because <laughs> civilian flying doesn't pay as well as the military flying was. And so I had to I had to really think about whether mm -hmm. or not I was going to take the job, considering mm -hmm. it was a significant cut in pay. <clears throat> but then I just took the job. Uh, <laughs> oh, there you go. Because uh, the company that I fly for now isn't going to send me to Afghanistan. Or Iraq. <laughs> yeah. Good point. So yeah. That was a good. Yeah. That was a that was a, a, a contributing factor to taking the cut in pay. Yeah. It was one of the benefits that you don't really count as salary. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and so now I've been flying. Uh, Medical for uh, coming up on five years now. Jeez, I can't wow. believe it's already it's been, been five years. Yeah, wow. Did yeah. you, um, I don't know if I ever asked you this, when you were in Afghanistan, was your, um, did you fly like med medevac Blackhawks or was it 
Um, I never personally flew the medevac aircraft, but we did have something that we called uh, med chase because, you know, we're the only ones that follow the rules in war and uh, we're not allowed (laughs) to arm the medical helicopters. And so, and, and the enemy doesn't realize that they're not allowed to shoot at the medical helicopter, but they do it anyway, right? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And so we would fly Blackhawks behind the medical uh, Blackhawks and we would be armed. And so if somebody started shooting at them, we would shoot back. Oh, wow. Well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those bastards never following the rules of war. Well, it's because all the rules are written in English. They're not written in Arabic. Yeah, something tells me that the Taliban wasn't at the Geneva Convention. That day. Yeah. It's kind of they may have called in sick. It's kind of like how when you go to Costco, they say you can't bring your concealed weapon in there. But oh, I know. But it's, it's so. But stupid. someone who wants to shoot the place up. Isn't gonna go. Yeah. Oh, I can't take my gun in there. Yeah. It, no. It really. It, it's it's that same. It's the same uh, think round of thinking. Yeah. You know. It's yeah. it's it's like, gun free zones are definitely um, ridiculous. All it does is make the people that follow the rules and the laws um, put well, them in harm's way. But considering but, the it, fact that we were over there to uh, for the global fight uh, or the global war on terrorism. So mm-hmm. these guys are terrorists, so they're really not known for following any rules anyway. I mean, yeah, and, and I'm especially... Pre- I'm pretty sure it's illegal yeah. to fly an airplane into a building, too. Uh, yeah, that didn't or, stop you know, to, to make a bomb out of a vest. Um, yeah, that doesn't... Uh, t- tone it. Yeah. I think there's an FAR about that, isn't there? <laughs> an FAR. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> FAR about that. Thanks, That's brothers. Funny. That's yeah. so funny. Yeah, thanks, hey, 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 that was Hass being a smart ass, not us. <laughs> You're encouraging. Well, I just want man. you to know that I listen to your podcast and I, I you know, perfect speed on it. Oh, he knows. <laughs> so, uh, Hass, I wanted to ask you what was your first, your very first flight and what type of aircraft was it? The very first time I was ever, it was an airplane and it was part of the scouting. I was going for an aviation merit badge. Cool. And the pilot's name was uh, Jerry Moss, and we flew in a Tomahawk. Oh, Tomahawk. At a powerful Sky Park. Little T-tailed, single-engine, low-wing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was my first experience in the air, was a, a Tomahawk. Wow. Did you, uh, how much did you fly of that? N- not a lot. I didn't. Just a little bit when you guys were probably up and around. Yeah, I, you know, I guess in in that regard, I kind of felt like a terrorist because I didn't, I wasn't interested in taking off and landing. (laughs) I was just, just... he he would only let me make an attempt at straight level. Of course, I think I was probably only 12 or 13 years old. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Young. Yeah. Nice. Tony just sent this picture. (laughs) The The toy. toy. Look at that, man. Is that the one? Well, the one that I remember had a it, it had like and a I handle. So yeah, like that. Oh yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 yep. just like that. Yep. But only it was an F fourteen. Yeah, and I remember the one when Ryan and I were younger. We had that same toy, but they were F eighteen Hornets. And, I remember the F eighteen. Right. And I remember when you would point it up, the throttle of the engine would go mm-hmm. up. Yep. And then you hit one side of the red button and it would like go <laughs> yeah like a shooting yeah. missile i had a missile lock i had a toy like that it was called the starbird remember that <laughs> the starbird yeah 
because I, I don't when you I, it made I the electronic sounds it. and it had the sign or had the uh, you know the different lights and everything that was the coolest toy ever I'll have to <laughs> look it up and send you guys a picture yeah. of it oh, you know, when, when I was a kid my older brother had the G.I. Joe F-14 the Sky Striker oh, oh yeah that, that was yeah, awesome because awesome. I mean I was a little kid back then and so that airplane was huge oh hell yeah and it had the handle right behind the the cockpit, you know, right behind the canopy that you move it and the landing gear would come down and yeah, the wings would pull out. Right. Oh, dude, I, I remember. I saw a picture of that, too. And I remember I always wanted one, but by the time that, like, I think my parents were going to get one for me or whatever, they stopped selling them, so I never got one of those. But I did get that huge-ass aircraft carrier. Mm -hmm. You remember oh, the G.I. Joe aircraft mm -hmm. carrier? I remember that. Thing. It was, like, six <laughs> feet long, like, three feet wide, and it, it came with... It came with um, the, uh, the the arresting hook equipment. It came with, um, oh, yeah, thing. Ryan's looking him up on remember, his. Remember when we had oh, that? Oh, yeah, all these toys. That's crazy. And you, you know what's interesting is you can't find good aviation toys anymore. I know. You it's can. so rare. You really can't. It's so rare. I know at Toys R Us, they used to carry this, this line of military toys that they had full-scale. Yeah. I have most of them. Yeah, like an F-22. They had an F-35. <clears throat> yeah. They had a, an well, Apache, a Blackhawk. There was the, the... It was a company called 21st Century Toys that made oh, all those. Oh, okay. And okay. it was the Ultimate Soldier Collection. Oh, and, yes, that's right. Yeah, and I have... I can tell you, I have a ton of those at home. I've got the Apache, the Blackhawk, the OH-58. <laughs> That's cool. Oh, yeah, they <laughs> had the 58. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> the Starbird Tony was talking about. Mm, do you remember that? <laughs> uh, dude, I don't remember. That looks like something from Star Wars. Dude, that was oh, the like coolest a... thing, because you you held it up and the engine would throttle up and then you'd angle it down and it would go down to idle yeah. and it would sit oh, yeah. in idle and the yeah. front part of it detached and it did the same thing. It was yeah, it was huh, pretty crazy. sweet. Crazy. That, that was one of my favorite toys I ever had. Oh, that's cool. Hey, and Tony, thanks for the picture of the FAR game. Too. Yeah, just want to make sure you guys knew I had it. So. I don't know if you know what year it is, but that one looks a little out of date. <laughs> it says 2009 on it. So updates. they only publish these things every every so many years, smart asses. And uh, this was the most <laughs> current one when I needed it. So just has has something to say. He's just his ears are burning. <laughs> No, I, I would never disrespect the Bible. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Okay, so let, let's get back to a little bit about Hess's flying and, and his flying career. And um, so we know that he got involved with aviation. We know that he did some flying up until the point he um, joined the military. And then he was a mechanic. And did you ever deploy when you were a mechanic? I did. I, you did. I spent, uh, in fact, when 9-11 happened, I was in Kuwait when oh, that happened. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. wow. Uh, which made for an interesting visit uh, after that. But, uh, yeah, I, I was over there. I was in Kuwait for about six months or so. Okay. When that happened. So when did you know that you were kind of interested in getting a flying spot and that you'd be able to get one? How did that go? Well, I didn't. That's the hard part about joining up as an enlisted guy um, is that it kind of becomes the needs of the organization. Mm. And so you kind of have to prove yourself. You, you show up there, you do your yeah. work, you do your thing, and, and you know, 
you be a good boy <laughs> and, and they'll send you to flight school. Is it common for somebody to join the military and um, in one position and then transition into a completely different position like you did? Is that common? Does that happen a lot? It really depends on the position. Um, okay. A lot of, I, and this is my opinion, I think a lot of people who join and take a job in the military that they know will transition to something in the civilian world, mm -hmm. they usually stay in that field. Oh, okay. Um, a lot of times people who join them, I mean, I can use my own family. I've got some cousins that joined the Marine Corps. One of them was uh, a tank driver mm. and the other one was just an infantry guy. Mm -hmm. And... What, what do you do with that when you get out? You, yeah, that's you, true. You, yeah, you true. go down to Boeing and say, hey, <laughs> I can drive a tank. Hey, you there's know, a so. there's a <laughs> lot of I... things that you can do in the in the civilian world after driving a tank. You can drive <laughs> like a bus. Uber? Uh, you can Uber. That's a new thing. Um, you know, you can drive a garbage truck. You can drive a bulldozer. Uh, yeah, there's, I, there's yeah. a lot. I, I guess construction. But, yeah, that, yeah, that's probably. But to but... to expand on your question, Aaron, um, during my time when I was in the military, uh, when I went in um, to the Air Force, I was mm -hmm. an aerospace control and warning systems operator. Then I transitioned with that. Uh, the FARs allowed me to do that. I'm just kidding. Um, but I, when I transitioned into the Utah Air National Guard, I transitioned in that position. And then I had a couple of other uh, positions. And eventually, um, right before I got out, I was actually going to go train to be a crew chief on the KC-135s. And mm -hmm. so, um, but I, I was at the end of my enlistment period and they wanted me to go for a few more years and it just wasn't in my future. So I didn't end up going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, and I would just have a question for Hess, but no, that's along go, those lines. Um, yeah, go ahead. I, and I remember you telling me the story, but I can't remember the specifics of it, but tell us about when, I think it was when you were in Afghanistan or I can't remember where you were, but you you said you were like coming in and you had like a near miss or there was an incident or can you even talk about it? Wasn't it with like <laughs> was it the radio tower one? Because I remember him telling me about a the radio tower that wasn't on his map. Something about um, there were either it was like a, a a newer pilot or something and you had to take over. Are are you talking about the? <laughs> I, I, I think ahead, there was one. There was, there was story one story about, about we were we were landing in a soccer field, and it was in Iraq, mm -hmm. and there's no grass in Iraq, um, and so the <laughs> soccer field was just like four or five inches of really powdery type sand because you know everybody would play on it all day long oh and it was gosh. just like yeah. talcum powder. Yeah. <laughs> and we were coming into land to it was like an air assault. You know, we had a mm -hmm. load of troops in the back. We were dropping them off, and they mm -hmm. were going to go do. Uh, I call it the Lord's work. <laughs> <laughs> they were going to go do the Lord's work, and I was going to go back to base and have dinner and take a shower. Um, and uh, anyway, it was a soccer field, and and we were coming into land, and and I think that the the local police had kind of tipped off the bad guys that we were coming, in, and they had moved their soccer goals into the middle of the field, and they're difficult to see at three o'clock in the morning with no moon. And uh, coming into land, you know, we get caught in this dust cloud, and all of a sudden I see the soccer goal 
kind of through the chin bubble of the aircraft, and it was mm-hmm. like, oh, oh, hold, hold, hold. And, whoa, whoa. and by then we get uh, engulfed in this dust cloud, but you could still, I mean, in a dust cloud, you can still see straight down. And mm-hmm. so we weren't in any danger of rolling it over or crashing, you know. Uh, and so we, <clears throat> I told the guy flying, I said, hey, continue forward, continue forward. So we, we started moving forward to get the soccer goal behind us. You know, crew chief says, you know, tells clear. Mm-hmm. And then another soccer goal came into view. Um, and so I just said, go around. And as we were climbing out of the dust cloud, just as we cleared the dust cloud at the, at the far end of the soccer field was this two-story house. And I don't know how we missed it, but the, the edge <laughs> of that building went right through uh, the bottom of the aircraft. Oh, well, it didn't hit God. us. I mean, it, it went yeah. through my view. Yeah. And I just thought, damn, that was close. <laughs> you know? And uh, it's one of them times where you get back to base and you you get out and kiss the ground and think, I'm glad I'm here and not in some soccer field in northern Iraq. <laughs> right. You know? Then and you a, you radio yeah, the crew chief Black and down situation. Yeah. Right. yeah. Then you so, radio um, the crew chief and let him know he's got a wet cleanup in the cockpit of the <laughs> helicopter. <that's right. laughs> what about um, you ever been shot at over there? Me personally, I I never brought an aircraft back with holes in it. Mm-hmm. Whether I was shot at or not, sometimes I don't know. You know, it's pretty loud inside those aircraft. Oh yeah. Um, most of the times that I saw rounds coming at us, uh, it was at night. They were shooting with tracers, mm-hmm. and you know we fly blacked out anyway. Yeah, yeah. So you can't see us. And you, you always and they, have the night vision goggles yeah. on. And, and, and and you know they shoot at the sound, and if you yeah. shoot at the sound when an aircraft's flying over, you're going to miss by a ways. And so, <laughs> I know. Yeah. So every time I saw tracers coming up in the air, I would always giggle to myself because they weren't even close. Yeah, not <laughs> even just close. Out there shooting at this guy. Um, I remember one night we were flying through uh, just north of Baghdad. And we were on an air assault. We were heading south. And the aircraft, they were actually kind of close to shooting at us. And uh, I saw the tracers coming from a tree line. Mm-hmm. Well, in our air assaults, we would fly with some Apaches with us. Oh, and, hell yeah. And so we were kind of just cruising along. And I see these tracers come up towards the air, the lead aircraft. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> there's nothing that gives your position away like, tracers i was gonna say yeah tracers uh kind of goes both ways yeah these uh these apaches that were our escort just lit these dudes up and it was just awesome you could hear the guys in the back of the aircraft the the infantry guys you could hear them cheering because we all watched uh this tree line just get in (laughs) mile and it was awesome dude that's gotta be the coolest feeling it was awesome (laughs) i know i i love watching the the video footage of when the apaches just you know like on youtube and online where it just shows them just blowing the shit out of these terrorists it's it's awesome i mean with that 30 millimeter gun i mean you see one of those rounds go through a human and they are just splattered. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. They call it pink mist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you this, being a Blackhawk driver my entire career, but also having worked on Apaches, it, it always kind of created a little bit of a mm-hmm. internal struggle because I was never allowed as a Blackhawk driver to be friends with Apache guys because they're Apache guys. You know the old joke, how do you know if an Apache pilot's at your party? Because he tells yeah, you. Yeah, he'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <clears throat> 
and so funny. you know you guys were talking about firebirds on one of your pilot. yeah i'll tell you what nick cage that is an apache pilot right? really? <laughs> oh that really so spot that's on. funny uh, i am the greatest yeah you are i know everybody knows uh but but the apache really does have a special place in my heart and i can't ever tell my blackhawk friends that because they'll disown me but they'll disown you i'll tell you what the apache is a badass helicopter and i'm glad it's on our side yes yeah. you're you're yeah. saying this on a podcast they're gonna hear maybe <laughs> maybe well, yeah. all they'll say well is, i don't I know because the only listener we have is sitting here with us oh, right that's now, so true i don't know <laughs> hey, that's not true i've got a couple of rant buddies that listen so oh, that's good actually oh, okay. that's true we do have other other listeners too. you know maybe when four. i yeah, maybe four. When I'm when I'm sitting in traffic, I kind of wish I could have an Apache escort with me. <laughs> yeah, I know. Just clear a path, yeah. dude. I wish I could have an Apache escort everywhere I go. <laughs> or if you just have one of those moments where you're like, "Yeah, take this guy out," especially in the Walmart parking lot. Right. Yeah. Now I want the cars that are playing loud music, which I do. And the guy is vaping, and you can see it coming out of both windows, and he's not paying attention to anything. That's that's what I want the Apache. And he's on his phone. Yeah, I know. Cleared hot. <laughs> Just follow the smoke. And he's wearing an affliction shirt. Oh my god! Here we go. And bedazzled jeans. Uh, Are we going that far? <laughs> bedazzled. Those are jeans, um, not a chandelier. That's right. <laughs> oh, shit, um, that's funny. So I, I have another question for Hess. Um, your very first time you were deployed as a pilot, uh, what was that feeling like? It was pretty scary. Um, and, and the reason why it was scary is because you go through all of these briefings and whatnot about being captured, and, mm-hmm. and then you see news reports about people who are captured and what happens to them. Oh yeah. And uh, it, yeah, it, it makes you spend a little extra time with the S2. The, the S2 is like the intelligence guy. So they know mm. where the the clusters of bad people are and the areas to avoid flying. And so mm-hmm. it really makes you focus on your pre-mission planning on, mm-hmm. okay, I need to go from point A to point B, but if I go on a straight line, I'm going to fly over some pretty bad territory. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and where, helicopters being shot down by surface air missiles kind of mm-hmm. so you end mm-hmm. up thinking you know i don't mind going a little bit out of my way <laughs> yeah, yeah. to go uh, around these areas that's scary dude but it was it, it was always on your mind yeah uh pre-mission and and you know of <clears> course <throat> you 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 think about your family and you know uh, you, you you have that that mindset of what do i need to do right now to make sure that that me and my crew and the aircraft right. make it back today right right um and so yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to say that there's uh, a safety concept in combat mm-hmm. um, because you know you're going to get shot at. Oh yeah. No matter no matter how you slice it, there's no two ways about it. Somebody's going to shoot at you, so it's all about like risk mitigation, mm-hmm. um, knowing your aircraft, knowing what to do if you get shot at, and and just exercising the training that that you received all the way up to that point. Yeah, um, you know special maneuvers and and how to break contact and you know it's 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 hard to hide when you're out there in the flat desert of Iraq, oh yeah you know yeah right. for sure so you get sometimes you get low and fast and 
you know, you're 10, 15 <laughs> feet off the ground doing 135 knots. Wow. Running away like a scared little kitten. kitten you know? <laughs> so, and you're calling on the radio for the Apaches to come and save your bacon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the resources are, are just phenomenal over there. Uh, even if we were to get shot down. Yeah. It, it, the, the aircraft that did get shot down while I was there, I mean, there was somebody whether it be A-10s yeah. or F-16s, somebody was on station to, to provide top cover. Oh, that's uh, good. Yeah. You know, and, and we always flew in twos, so if one of the aircraft got shot down, the other one would land and extract yeah. the crew and that sort of thing. So, oh, okay. I mean, there was always that mindset as well, but... Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, you know, to answer your question, it's, it's scary. I mean, it's what? like driving through a bad part of town where you know that... <clears throat> Was, Somebody's gonna come and try and jack your car. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Was was Iraq or Afghanistan the same feel, or did you feel more threatened in one of the two? Could you tell? Like, were were we making more progress in one or the other while you were there, or what was that feel like? Um, I, from a political standpoint, I I wouldn't know whether we made progress in either. Yeah, uh, yeah. Primarily because we're still in both places. Yeah, yeah. So, um. I think that as far as risk is concerned, I think that the the mission that I was doing in Iraq was a little more risky simply because it was air assaults. Mm -hmm. We were we were taking the the good guys to the bad guys and dropping them off. Yeah, um, and that doing was the Lord's work. Doing the Lord's work. They were out there <laughs> doing the Lord's work. And uh, uh, Afghanistan was more of a VIP type mission. You know, flying okay. the generals around, taking oh, them okay. from here to there for meetings and whatnot. And I never really felt that threatened in Afghanistan um, as I did in Iraq, mainly because, you know, of the mission we, we're going into the known bad yeah. guy areas yeah. Yeah. and doing it under the cover of darkness. And and uh, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I, if I had my choice between the two, I would I would do the Iraq mission again. Mm. But Afghanistan, you know, with the high mountains and living here in Utah, mm -hmm. I, I oftentimes I was reminded a lot of home flying through the mountains and mm -hmm. after mm -hmm. a, a rainstorm you know you're buzzing past mountain peaks at 11 or 12,000 feet and you could smell the pine and oh, it wow, just really? it reminded cool. me of being That's at home so but as far as the mission said and actually feeling like I was contributing to the fight yeah. as it is yeah Iraq definitely was yeah, what Iraq I preferred mission. um and then uh, along the lines of like, we recently had an episode where we talked about like our most favorite aviation movies and mm -hmm. our most hated aviation movies. And <laughs> I um, am the I greatest. <laughs> I know we, 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 we went awesome. up on Iron Eagle, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did. I always, I always wanted to fly with a tape deck on my knee. <laughs> I know. Now you just use your iPhone or an iPad or a, an iPod. That's funny. Oh. Um, I want to hear you say, Chappie! <laughs> <laughs> Dude, movie, I'm not taking any crap from you guys. That was a good movie. <laughs> Entertaining if you're five or six. Uh, and I was. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Coming, um, coming from a so, Black Hawk pilot. That's just one, it's one of those movies, until I was about seven, I loved it and watched. And then I waited for like eight years. And then I watched it again. And I'm mm -hmm. like, how the hell did I like this movie? <laughs> how? But how then I still you, watched it. So what is how, it when they're on the runway and the trucks are coming down the runway and he asks Chappie, he's like, "Will the will the Maverick fire for stalled on the ground?" Yeah. Well, I don't know. 
just do it. Just yeah, do it. Yeah. Just do it. Um, so, so, so as, as a military pilot, as a military um, Black Hawk pilot, and then you see movies like Black Hawk Down, that whole Somalia mm-hmm. uh, incident. Um, do those things actually go through your mind when you're actually in combat? Like, do because I know, like, throughout our lives, I mean, we have movies that influence us, whether it's a comedy. I mean, for God's sakes, The Big Lebowski, I could probably quote five or six different lines in that movie every day just with the <laughs> shit, the way life goes. Eight-year-olds. Um, <laughs> Careful, man, I got a beverage here. Right. So, like, do, do those things go through your mind when you're flying and you're in combat and you're like, holy shit, like, you have that vision of a Blackhawk getting hit with an RPG and going down and and pilots getting killed and crew members getting pulled out and dragged like, through the streets. And, yeah, yeah. Dragged through yeah. the streets. I mean, d- does that kind of tie into what you're talking about? How the first time you were deployed and you think about that and you think about the things that happen and, and how, how does that work into when you're actually doing it? Um, it's a good question. <clears throat> and I'll tell you this pre-mission planning. It, it's on your mind. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why you spend the time, planning the mission and you plan it in detail uh, in in the air assault missions we would spend four or five days planning a mission mm-hmm. and then you go out and fly it and it only takes two and a half three hours for the mm, whole oh, thing wow. to go down wow and Jeez. so yeah you think about that stuff up until you get those engines cranked mm-hmm. and once those engines are cranked you, i never remember one time thinking about it because mm-hmm. i was focused on the mission itself yeah and then if something were to develop where maybe we did get shot down or or one of the aircraft in the flight was shot down then your training takes over at that point yeah. on what to do yeah um because you always have contingencies uh-huh. everything everything has a contingency you know okay what's yeah. the downed aircraft plan yeah, what is okay. what is this plan what's that plan and so once you get those engines cranked and you're taxiing out a flight of 10 or mm-hmm. however many are on the flight yeah um, you don't even think about it. Yeah. You just, yeah. okay, now the mission is this, let's execute, let's yeah. do it. And so me personally, I never thought about the idea of getting shot down while I was actually out flying. Mm-hmm. And I never imagined myself being drugged through the streets, um, primarily because if they were drugging, dragging me through the streets, it was because I was out of ammo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No doubt. But it, it never crossed my mind. Um, mm. It was all about accomplishing the mission. It was about getting the troops on the ground to yeah. to get their job done. Yeah. But but then so. if that scenario did happen, with all the planning that you made and all of your training and that, that all takes over anyway. So you've got plan B, plan C, and then you, you know, the training takes over or the mission planning takes over if that happens. But I understand the fact you don't think about that unless it presents itself. Right. Right. Well, let me ask you this question. When you get in your car and drive to work, do you think about getting in a wreck? Oh, all the time. <laughs> no, is, no, I don't. Is it because you drive like an asshole? Right. Exactly. exactly. No, I think his point is, is, no, is you I'm, get in the car, you think about getting from point A to point exactly, B. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and then if, if a situation it presents itself, then... That's when the contingency takes over or whatever. No, I totally right. get it. Yeah, I I only like, think about yeah. I only think about getting in an accident when I'm planning um, my trip from home before I get in the car. I'm right. kidding. <laughs> yeah, and Tony, it's kind of like it's like 
It's kind of like that time we were driving and a hornet flew in the car and you just jumped out in the traffic <laughs> from the driver's seat. Did your training take over at that point? My training said, if a hornet starts flying around, get the fuck out of the car as quickly as possible, Good. rolling or not. Good hell. I... <laughs> it reminds me of Tommy Boy. Bees! Yeah, yeah. Bees! They're everywhere! So, More bees! Tony, my... Has, been my big brother for a long time and i never knew until a few months ago how afraid he was of wasps really because we're literally in traffic <laughs> no we're stopped one, at a stoplight the two windows are open but yeah we're stopped at the light but we're in traffic and it flies in <laughs> and and he literally he literally like he just jams the car into park his and imagine all these things taking place at the same time. Seatbelt off, car in the park, <laughs> door open, and out into stepping into traffic. And yeah, because all, that's safer. And then it's all... And then it just flies out. And then he just gets back in like nothing happened. Exactly. I'm like, Jesus, dude, you afraid of wasps? Self-preservation. That's all I can so say. That, and that, that was just, all accomplished over the course of about seven seconds. Yeah, easily. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's nice to know you can move that fast, so next time I need you to move that fast, you don't have a fucking excuse. Dude. And in the real world, we call that emergency egress. And it <laughs> Thank you. Like you did very well. Thank you. Thank you very much. I was just waiting for the car to go, for Tony to be like, that was a close... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah. You I'm might. happy you remember to put the car in park. I mean, think about it. I, Imagine egressing an aircraft for getting to shut down the engines. I know. Well, That's you know, hilarious. it's 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 actually funny that you should bring that up because with like like in Hess's situation with the training, if something like that were to happen, I'm not saying a wasp would have flown into the cockpit, but um, <laughs> it could have. I know, he would have but been a talented wasp. Right? Hey, have you seen those camel spots? Camel oh, spiders over there? Yeah, that, no. You didn't see one of those while you were there, did you, Hess? I did, yeah. Oh, oh you know what? There's actually um, an F-16 crash in Afghanistan blamed on a camel spider in the cockpit. No shit. Google it. I, I probably, I, dude, I would have ejected. That would be me. That would have <laughs> been like, me. You see that thing? I would have been like, you know, racer one four, I'm belling out. <laughs> and then the next thing on the audio would be the ejection seat. Dude, I wouldn't have even, I wouldn't have even said anything. I would have just pulled that ejection handle. I and know, then, feel bad for the pilot though, because he was killed. Oh, the actual awful. aircraft, like it, he controlled well, probably uncontrolled flight into terrain. But uh, yeah, he hit the terrain, man. He was gone. But but oh, um, that's just the awful. Ex- yeah, they, they found a dead camel spider with the pilot in the cockpit, and that's what they're blaming it on because they they couldn't find any malfunction of the aircraft. Oh, the pilot was a good pilot with a good record, and. Uh, yeah, so anyway. knowing, knowing the Air Force guys that I work with, it was probably his crew chief trying to play a joke on him. <laughs> My God, that would be awful. He won. Yeah, joke. well, I'm sure the rest of that deployment, those canopies were down the whole time. Didn't matter if it was 120. Oh, man. That's. <laughs> but those things are so big. I've, I've got like the. The heebie jeebies and the creepy oh, crawlies dude. all over when me not, now. When Thank I you. lived in Arizona. 
I used to see camel spiders two inches long, and that's nothing to the ones over mm-hmm. in the Middle East. The one that I saw was in a shoebox, you know, a regular size shoebox you'd buy at the, you know. Yeah. And uh, it took up the entire bottom of oh, the shoebox. Oh, God. that is disgusting. Yeah, oh, it's, my God. It's insane. Dude, oh, so terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, I've killed a couple of uh, camel spiders here in St. George. I, I walked oh, out one awful. night onto my front porch, and there was a big one. It was probably from front to back, almost about two inches. Oh, yeah. And <clears throat> so I I saw it. I calmly walked back in the house. <laughs> calmly, I said. Thought mm-hmm. of a strategy. Walked back out. Picked up my Hold big. It. Wait, wait, wait. Picked up my big rubber doormat and just dropped it on top of it. And left it there then, for three days. And then and then passed out. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like when Pee Wee Herman was saving the snakes in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> ah, then he oh. passes out with all the snakes. Oh, that oh, was God, just, that's that nasty. Was, okay. Notice that was we get awful. a lot of sidetracks going on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's okay. We're fun. still talking about the Afghanistan and Iraq theaters um, of war. <laughs> so. yeah, that's true. That's oh. true. Um, how much of your flying over... In Iraq and Afghanistan, has helped you uh, flying for the the medical uh, company here locally. Um, like, do you find that do you find that that training you had over there gives you kind of the edge over maybe someone that just trained around here like a civilian? Do you feel like it kind of gives you an edge, like personally, or do you think it um, actually does? Or? I think it actually helps a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I was told by my boss when he hired me that 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 the civilian world does appreciate the discipline of military pilots because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, we're all very this first. This it's kind of binary, you know. Military pilots are binary, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, I I think it helps. And and you know, one thing I didn't mention was that when I applied for that job for the EMS company here, I was one of 88 applicants. Oh, my gosh. Oh, shit. And there were two positions. Oh, wow. And so Damn. Um, the two people that they hired were both, you know, myself and this other guy were prior military. Okay. Um, <clears throat> not saying that the civilian guys aren't capable or yeah or as qualified it's just that a lot of times civilian pilots don't have the hours that the military guys have mm-hmm. and when you when you're looking at the civilian market one of the biggest factors contributing factors to getting hired is they associate number of flight hours with experience mm-hmm. and a lot of civilian guys they don't build time as quickly as the military guys because right. you know I get sent to Iraq for a year and I'm going to fly 700 hours yeah. while I'm there, yeah, yeah. and a civilian guy may not get that opportunity. Right. Well, so and, I build time quickly. And, and, and if a civilian, yeah, a civ- lot. I was just going to go there. I mean, I, money paying for 700 hours in a rotor wing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure that's cost prohibitive for 99 percent of the population. As but. as opposed to getting paid for flying 700 right. hours in yeah. a in a rotor right. wing. Yeah. Well, so has, and, it, and it also becomes a factor of the type of aircraft. There's a lot of mm-hmm. flight instructors at civilian schools that'll say, "Hey, you know, I've got 800 hours." The truth is, is you don't. You have one hour 800 times <laughs> because you never leave the traffic pattern in an R22. In an R22, you know, <laughs> I've I've never flown a helicopter smaller than a 206. Oh really? Yeah. Oh wow! That's I, wow. When I went into the military to fly helicopters, the the training aircraft, the TH sixty seven was a it's a 
206. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's imagine being out you know out there trying to learn how to hover oh yeah in a 206 yeah. you know so yeah the, the military like turbine engine yeah. it's like right. you're you're like right in the mix yeah right and the, the military guys are very spoiled in that regard you know yeah. we, we none of us have flown <clears throat> robinsons and and uh it's just i i think it's it's one of the things where the civilian market likes the military guys because they're already experienced with the turbine engine. Yeah, they're yeah. they're experienced with bigger helicopters, and uh, you know the the challenges that come with that. Yeah, I'm not saying that flying Robinson isn't challenging because yeah. if, if you're not managing your power and have a good firm understanding of density altitude, you can get yourself in some trouble in a Robinson. But uh, right, you know, especially flying in the mountains. Yeah. Um, well, so, Hess, Hess, let me ask you this. Um, so the company that you fly for right now and what i'm asking is is your is your mission i guess you can call it that is it is it all air ambulance or are you in like air rescue situations because i would think that your military experience especially over in afghanistan and iraq you've got experience of getting in and out of pretty dicey or tight situations too i'm, I'm guessing that would set you apart as well right um yeah the the thing with civilian flying though is is they have um you know rules that we have to abide by we we can't land in lz's that are smaller than you know, 100 by 100. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so when we fly up into the mountains and we're looking for somebody who rolled their four-wheeler while not wearing a helmet or whatever silliness is taking place, sometimes we can't land. Sometimes we can't land close. Sometimes we've got to land in an area that's suitable, and then the medical crew either has to walk to the patient or somebody in the party will show up in a razor and the medical crew will hop in the razor and then they blast down the trail to, mm -hmm. to go to get the patient and bring him back. Um, I, I personally, uh, in the military, there's a, there's a school in Colorado called hats. It's the, <laughs> it's not it's like the pens, is it? High, <laughs> no, <laughs> it's the, the high altitude army aviation training site. It's in Eagle, Colorado. It's a wonderful course and it oh, really teaches good. you how to operate the aircraft in high density altitude. Hmm. and you know power management and and i and i don't think that there is a comparable school in the civilian world that provides that level of of knowledge for pilots um and so when for me when i'm going in to land at a high lz say you know somebody's up at the ski resorts or something mm -hmm. during the summer mm -hmm. and they're up there hiking or what have you and and they shouldn't be and they have a heart attack or something like that then those skills that i learned in the military about landing at high altitude on a hot day <clears throat> come into play mm -hmm. and i think about okay can i hover out of ground effect here am i going to need an lz that allows me to do a level acceleration and get through effective translational lift so i can climb out and not run into the trees where are the winds coming from what's the temperature outside what is the actual altitude of the lz you know so it's those things that go through my mind when i'm hmm. trying to determine whether or not i can even land yeah um mm -hmm. because if I can land in the LZ, it doesn't mean I can get out because I also have to remember that once I land, I may be picking up 225 or 250 more pounds of, of patient. Right. And now I can't even hover. Yeah. Right. So you, you got to do some pretty quick on the fly calculations um, because when you get dispatched to go pick somebody up, you don't have a lot of time or you don't want to spend a lot of time sitting at the desk trying to yeah. figure out yeah. 
well, I don't know. What are we going to do? How's this? And, you know, something as simple as a quick glance at a Winslow off chart will give you the idea of what the temperature is, even at the altitude that that yeah. patient's at. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so you can right. kind of, as you're walking to the aircraft, get the idea that I can do this. And if not, I'm going to drop off the medical crew. I'm going to take off again and I'm going to burn off some fuel. And then I'm going to come back and land and pick everybody up. And then we're going to go to the hospital. So there's going back to the military experience. I mean, it's all about contingency and having plan B and C and D and being able to execute that in a timely manner. Mm-hmm. So you provide the best service to the patient because they're really the ones that we're flying. For. Yeah. And I would yeah. imagine every minute counts for those patients because they're not calling you unless it's serious. Oh yeah. I've never been called for a stub toe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's or a camel awesome, spider like, bite. No, yeah, yeah. I or know. a it in the car. Yeah, <laughs> or somebody getting hit by a car because they were dodging. Yeah. Um, so, so the Bell four hundred seven is what you fly now. Yeah, and it's the GX two with it, it with the Garmin one thousand. Yeah, cockpit. I'll tell you. Here's a funny thing: is in my entire military career, I never flew an aircraft with a glass cockpit. I didn't even have an aircraft with an autopilot. Oh, oh damn! And I get thrown into this four hundred seven GX with an autopilot, and you know the, the it's like an iPad. Com- oh my god! Attached to a helicopter. Oh, I've programmed. <laughs> I've learned so much about the Garmin one thousand now. I've programmed pre-canned routes in there. I take off, set the autopilot, and on an hour and a half flight, I might touch the flight controls for about four minutes. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's awesome! It is. It is completely a retirement gig for me. It's awesome. <laughs> so I don't have to do how, how does uh, the four hundred seven perform in these high altitudes? And you're talking about the density altitudes and all that. Sometimes it's a challenge during mm-hmm. the summer months. Just you know, once you get up eight, nine thousand feet, mm-hmm. you really got to do some number crunching to, oh, to yeah. make sure that you can make it happen. And there's contingencies. You know, if if we land someplace to pick up a patient and we're too heavy. We generally would just leave like a paramedic behind mm-hmm. and we'll take the patient and a nurse yeah. and head to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Now, wow. now, for me personally, I've never had to leave anybody behind, but I also don't routinely go that high in the mountains. Yeah. So yeah. for, for me, I cover a lot of the West Desert of Utah. So usually where I land, there's plenty of space to pick up to a hover, kind of do a level acceleration and and you know yeah the salt flats you, just, you, yeah. you 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 could do that level acceleration for probably what 100 miles pretty dang close sometimes salt yeah. Flats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well i think it's uh i actually think it's really not just because it's an aviation podcast or or an aviation podcast or related to aviation obviously but i think it's pretty awesome what you do like the company you work for I, I coach high school soccer, and one day after practice, a girl, she got in a car accident just down the road, and I remember the company you worked for, man, that helicopter was there so fast, and if it wasn't for that, she'd be dead for sure. Yeah, like, that was that was actually my helicopter that responded to that. I just wasn't on shift that day. Yeah, I think I, oh, remember, wow. I, think I cool. called you, and even though... Obviously, you wouldn't be answering the phone if you were flying, but <laughs> I, I called you because I, I, and I left you a message saying, hey, if that was you, I just want you to know that's someone that I know and this and that, you know, just to kind of try to <laughs> set get it some, down gently. Yeah, just yeah. try to get some inside information on how she was doing. But, um, but yeah, I mean, stuff like that, that I, I, I wonder as a whole, not just your company, but like medical evac companies or whatever you call them how many lives they actually save like you in a year oh i like, i'm sure it's astronomical yeah like, i mean if they just, don't if they don't get amazing. picked up and and you know transition over the city or get somewhere fast like that it's 
they're probably done. I mean, geez, you guys, it's crazy. You guys remember our um, uh, Mike, our brother-in-law. Uh, he would mm-hmm. routinely go down to Lake Powell uh, as That's a paramedic, right. and uh, he was on the life uh, lifeguard helicopter. Cla- was it lifeguard? Yeah, classic classic, classic life- helicopters. Is- yep. That's right, Classic Lifeguard 3. Yep, and right. I actually remember the tell number of that. It was a Bell 206L Long Ranger. Yeah. And it was November 2233 Foxtrot. That was the main <laughs> ship they had down there. And I remember flying in it a couple times when they had to go fuel it. The pilot, um, you know, invited me along. And, you know, my best friend here has never taken me in his fucking helicopter. <laughs> but, you know, I've been up in other helicopters. <laughs> I, I've been up. <laughs> it's all it's all about, i know it's all about opportunity i i remember one day that we were gonna go out on a maintenance flight uh on a 407 and it was when ryan was working <laughs> yeah uh, on the line and i called him up i said dude get down here i'm i need to go do a test flight <laughs> you need, you can come along and so we went buzzing up in the mountains uh east right. of salt lake city just out i don't even remember i think all i had to do was test the radar altimeter something which you could really do that from a hover but what's the fun in that? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was awesome. I actually he called me and I was on one of our like uh, our little passenger golf carts that have like the six seven seats on them, and I literally just drove from the ramp where I worked. Yeah. And drove down to the to where Hess worked to that ramp. I even parked the golf cart just right out front, and I, I didn't care what anyone said. I hopped in and. It was an awesome ride, and, and you know, it's going to sound like I'm kissing some ass here, but you're you're a pretty good pilot. <laughs> sure. You just it want him to smooth. take you up again. <laughs> Don't you have a girlfriend? <laughs> Something that uh, I remember. Are you kissing just, the back hole? Just, oh, God. <laughs> oh, it's an inside joke from a, pre, um, from a conversation oh, before we hit record. But, I, I remember telling you, though, on. when we landed, because I, I knew that, that I'd never taken Aaron for a, a helicopter flight before. Yeah, and I yeah. remember telling Ryan, I said, Don't tell your brother. He'll be pissed. Yeah. I thought a few years. <laughs> Between that, would he'd probably be able to handle it? Yeah, but apparently not. You know, but I started thinking about <laughs> a little bit of bitterness. when I brought that up. I started thinking about all the shit he's gone up in, like oh yeah, with Chuck Aaron and did the aerobatics. Yeah, and, I know. Uh, I've actually done loops and barrel rolls. He's got on some like some hasn't missions. even done yet. And I, so I'm like, I'm like, fuck that. I'm gonna tell him I went. <laughs> <laughs> I know, amazing opportunities. But no, all it was around. awesome, and I, for some reason. One of the things I remember about when I went flying with you was how smooth everything felt. Like, there was zero turbulence. Well, it's the mm-hmm. autopilot. <laughs> that, aircraft, that aircraft actually didn't have an autopilot. Not that one. I that knew was it was an autopilot because I remember him constantly on That's, the controls. I'm just but kidding. Just like when we came in to land and you just turn the tail around i just remember thinking like everything just felt like yeah so that's cool that's what i remember the most about yeah it, that's but, all pilot touch but <laughs> that's the last time i've been on a helicopter i haven't been on a helicopter since since that that's cool yeah, so but... yes i i have another question for you before we uh wrap things up and we'll see if aaron and ryan do too but uh so what what has been your craziest experience flying helicopters whether it was while you're in the military or what you're doing right now, training, whatever. Craziest experience. Man, uh, there's so many, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, I think with with the civilian flying, um, it's, it's just the, the places where I land. 
Like when I drive around town now, I'll pull up to an intersection and I look around and I and I tell myself, oh, I've landed right over there in that field before, <laughs> you know, and, and I and I remember a lot about the accidents, you know, it's like, uh -huh. oh, I remember this was a motorcycle accident and I landed right here in this parking lot mm -hmm. kind of thing. And and I and I think one of the most interesting places that I've landed was like smack in the middle of a neighborhood, you know, normally when when you land, you're. You know, watch out for that tree or <laughs> yeah, power like lines. Power lines, definitely. Power lines are always uh, a, a hot topic. Yeah. But in, I remember this day, I I was landing, and it was like, watch out for the mailbox and the stop sign because we <laughs> we literally landed like right in front of somebody's house. Oh, wow. Geez. And you know, like in a in a cul-de-sac looking thing, and. And it was just awesome because, you know, people come out to their, their doors, you know, yeah. the, the looky-loos, the rubberneckers. And then, All the millennials probably thought uh, it was an Amazon delivery. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, so... Well, that just... drone's a little bigger than I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? And there's people in it. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, so, yeah, so, you know, as far as craziness in the civilian world, it's just kind of landing in those obscure places that... I never imagined I would have been landing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then in the in the military, you know, I've got three or four different stories of where I felt like I should have died and didn't. Um, you know, and, and maybe we can have those stories another time. But, yeah, there, there are times where, you know, I landed back at base and just thought to myself, man, that should have been it. And it wasn't. And yeah. So you go get some sleep and then you get up the next day and do it all over again. And you're able to sleep after that? Uh, sometimes. Yeah. Well, I do. I do gotta say, sometimes I'll see your like social media posts, and you'll say things like, you know, make sure you wear a helmet or mm -hmm. drive safe oh, yeah. out there. And I and I think about like maybe what your shift was like the night before, mm -hmm. what you saw. Right. And I'm like, right. I'm like, yeah. He probably thinks about that more than anybody. Yeah. Well, and and if you do follow me on social media. Yeah, why, um, why don't you give what your social your you have Instagram right? Instagram, yeah. Okay. On Instagram, uh, I'm at Spinny Side Up. <laughs> I love it's that. Cool. <laughs> there you go. Spinny yes. Side Up. Spinny Got Side it. Up. You'll find me on Instagram. <laughs> but oftentimes, you know, because of uh, health information, privacy stuff, and and yeah, you know, I'm not really allowed to talk about HIPAA? patients, patient condition. Even when Ryan called me and wanted to know about. Yeah. The soccer player, I couldn't have told him anything, even if I knew. Yeah, mm -hmm. I remember you said that. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, we we keep you know, it's it's none of your damn businesses, really. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I got it. Um, like I said, it was a shot in the dark. Yeah. But but generally, once the news media releases something, I usually share it on mm -hmm. my uh, social media. Yeah. Yeah. And that is my way of saying I was somehow involved in this incident, although yeah. I'm not going to give you any details. Right, but right. here's what the news media is yeah, reporting, yeah. because it's not me sharing any information about it. I right, just right. I just say, hey, here was this accident, and I'm sharing this information on social right. media. And generally when I do that, it's because I flew that patient or yeah. was interacted yeah. with that patient in some way. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah. Yeah, that's got to be tough, man. So the yeah. – the other thing, too, is, Hess, I don't know when we'll be able to have you on again. Um, do you want to share one of those stories um, about when you were in the military and thought, oh, my God, I probably should have died? Um, yeah. Let's see. Which one? 
I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> I, uh, I, a lot of these stories have a lot of hand gestures, and it's very visual. <laughs> So, Damn, I wish yeah, I was there with yeah. you guys. Um, well, if, if, I'll, I'll give you a, a, a quick one. I was flying a flight of two. I was the lead aircraft, and I was, I was skirting along the uh, western edge of Baghdad. Mm. And uh, for whatever reason, in, in Iraq, the people that put in the high-tension power lines decided to paint the superstructures, you know, the, the towers that hold the wires, they're, they're brown. Oh, my God. And they blend in very well with... <laughs> the the surrounding sand which is also brown oh yeah <laughs> and so i'm cruising along and i'm on the flight controls and my my co-pilot's got the map and he's navigating and and i hear from my chalk too um he says hey do you see those wires and i'm looking out thinking nope now in hindsight when somebody says do you see those wires i would expect that you start an immediate climb all learning comes from experience right right <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and they also say that experience is something you gain just after you needed it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, and, and I thought to myself, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't see any wires. And when you're cruising along at 15 feet off the ground and you're doing 125 knots or so, you know, you're moving right along. Jeez. I mean, you're going more than two miles a minute. Yeah. And wires come up on you quick. And by the time I actually got the wires in sight... Uh, it took a significant Blue Angels maneuver to climb the aircraft <laughs> over the top of the wires. Um, and if it if it hadn't been for my chalk two saying, "Hey, do you see those wires?" I probably would have flown right into them oh my because God, I damn. I didn't see them until Scary. it was damn near too late. Um, and it was almost close enough to where you start thinking maybe I should just go under them. Yeah, really. You know. Um, but we made it over the top, and, and all was well. But it was just one of them breakdowns in, in my own cockpit where yeah. um, I didn't visually uh, acquire the wires. Um, they were on the map, and my co-pilot who was navigating um, thought we were in a different place on the map. Mm. And so it was just one of them things where it all worked out okay, and we had some significant debriefing to do afterwards just to make sure that that did never happen again. Right. Wow. Um, but, well, and it's nice to hear the, the the training like helped you guys survive because I mean everybody it's it, everybody aboard I would imagine the whole crew it's their job to make sure everybody's safe and yeah. so you got you know everybody's got your back you've got their backs and and everybody has got their eyes and their heads on a swivel. Yeah. So uh, it was that day that I found out how maneuverable the Blackhawk actually is. <laughs> we were we wow. were inverted. <laughs> yeah, we were inverted. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I wish I had a Polaroid of it. <laughs> yeah. <no doubt>. But, <laughs> yeah, it Bullshit. was it was one of the maneuvers where it, it was really the first time that I felt a significant G load on the aircraft as I, you know, pulled aft on the cyclic and started oh, climbing. Wow. That's wow. crazy. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, Ryan, do you have any other questions or anything? I've I've got one last one I can I can ask him when we're when you're done. Um. No, I know we want to get to the aircraft challenge before we finish, but um. Yeah. Why don't? Uh, no, I mean I think I got all my. Money. So go ahead and ask. So obviously the, the you know a big part of our company Ramp Check Global and the Ramp Check podcast is you know. We're here for everybody that loves aviation. We're huge aviation advocates. We're, you know, we're real, you know, into, you know, the ramp workers and, and all of us here 
all four of us on mic today, we we're all very experienced ramp workers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know we didn't really get into many stories. Um, I'm sure we'll have you on as a guest. I mean, it's always fun. We just need reminiscing to, because we got to talk. talk about our middle of the night graveyard shift oh. runs to your house. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah anyway. So I got, I got a great Burger King story, too, from the <laughs> Tooth LaRue. <laughs> oh, Tooth LaRue. Oh, oh, my God. Man. Hudson is, and Landry. Oh, my God. It's so <laughs> I was just talking about that the other day. You know what's funny about that is... I, now I gotta mention it. Keep your question. It's okay. We used to go to this Burger King that was open 24 hours, <laughs> and we called her Tooth Larue because she worked every night, and she kind of would eyeball us like, "How you doing?" You know. She, she wanted had to make your whopper. She had one tooth, and you know, I used to after I'd go do the food run, I'd leave there and I'd be like, "Why is she holding on to the one tooth? Like, <laughs> how do you eat anything?" Like, how do you eat an apple? Do you just slowly, like, one line? Gouge them out with one little dig? So anyway, we used to, when we did food runs, we used to be like, yeah, let's go see if Tooth LaRue's working tonight. Anyway. Dude, I'll tell you. Can I? I'm going to tell go you a story. Ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. One night, it, I was up for the food run, and, and I blast down to the Burger King, and I'm at the little drive through window, and I think I there was three of us on shift, so I ordered, like, three Whopper meals, I think, and I was bringing them back to the... <laughs> To the base <laughs> and i i pull up to the window and i pay you know it's like 15 16 bucks whatever it was i don't i don't remember the exact price but i i remember looking in the rearview mirror and there was like a 15 passenger van behind me at the at the ordering speaker mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i'm sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting and i knew that the whoever the one person working at burger king at two o'clock in the morning was was just got really busy because this van was full of people yeah oh man and so I'm trying to be as patient as I can, but it it probably took 15 or 20 minutes after I paid of just sitting at the window. Mm-hmm. And finally, the lady comes to the window and she starts handing me sacks of food. She's giving me the van order, <laughs> and I'm just taking oh, it. I'm putting God. it on the seat. <laughs> and she's like, "Is that everything?" And I said, "I think that's everything." And I, I remember, oh, damn. I remember oh, coming back funny. to the base, and I think I had 20 hamburgers in the car. Oh, that's and awesome. I, you know, in hindsight, I feel bad, but I was a teenager, and what the hell, right? Well, they uh, probably sat in the line shack for uh, two days and were eating over that two days, uh, you know? Yeah. How old's this? I could just imagine the look on her face when that van pulled up, and she's just thinking, uh... oh. Shit. <laughs> I know. Now, it's going to take another 20 minutes to make all those burgers again. That's hilarious. Uh, I felt bad. Sorry, Burger King, but it was damn funny. Yeah. Uh, Oh, oh yeah, yeah. there are so stories. many good we'll have stories. To have you on again for sure. But oh yeah, sorry to interrupt um, your no, last no, it's points, cool. So anyway, ahead. where I was going is um, with all of your experience working the ramp. Um, what would be um, a piece of advice you could give to somebody working the ramp to either stay safe? Because one of our big things is you know being safe, being knowledgeable making sure you do things the right way, yeah. taking responsibility for what you do. If you mess up, admit it, get some help so that you can learn what you did so you don't do it the next time, things like that. Um, what would be a, you know, your piece of advice you could give to like a ramper, uh, ramp worker um, from I, your experience? From my experience, a couple things. In, in fact, the, the first thing I would always recommend to anybody working the ramp is... Um, you're, if, if you think about the first interaction you have with a pilot taxing his aircraft onto your ramp, the very first interaction, 
that you two have together is your hand and arm signals. Mm -hmm. And it, back in the day, taxiing Blackhawks around, you know, wheeled aircraft and, and taxiing onto the ramp, I could usually tell what kind of service I'm going to get with that aircraft just by the professionalism of the ground crew and their hand and arm signals. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes people just look half-assed, like they don't want to be there, they're mm -hmm. tired, they're worn out, and they're just out there kind of, they point to a spot and then they turn and walk away. Oh, jeez. You know, so I would always try to make yourself look as professional of an organization as possible because when they see you half-ass in your hand and arm signals, they're probably going to get the impression that you're going to half-ass the service of the aircraft as well. Mm -hmm. Which is probably the case. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then you, shows, and then you fit, you really don't care much. and then you fit into the stereotype of the ramper who just doesn't give a shit. And then they assume mm -hmm. everybody's like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that definitely outperform the pay that you're receiving. You, you mm -hmm. know, because I everybody knows that ramp guys are paid shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and yeah. generally, when you pay somebody shit, that you're going to get a shit performance from them. And so you have to be able to set yourself apart from that and 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 work at a level higher than what you're being paid to work. Yeah. Um, and it should be because you love to be there and not necessarily right. you're forced. Well, to and be you there. take pride. I mean, yeah. it's just like anything in life, man. You take pride in it. Um, you know, work hard, work smart. And uh, Work safe. You know, that's how you succeed in anything. For yeah. crying out loud. And, and again, like you said, never be afraid to ask questions. I, mm -hmm. I remember as a wrap worker, the very first time I got called over to the West side to refuel that DC three, mm -hmm. I had never in my entire life refueled a DC three. <laughs> and I got, I got sent over there by myself, you know, Hey, take the low lead truck over there and fuel. Yeah. Was it Western air or something? Yeah, it was their DC three and, and was it the majestic the side, one? Salt, it, it's at Salt Lake International Airport, mm -hmm. and the west side of the airport was the commercial side and the cargo side and all that. And so we mostly worked on the east side, which was the general aviation uh, side of the airport. So when you got called to the west side, it was definitely something a little bit more significant. Yeah, because it was the commercial side, you know, the cargo. And when I drove the the low lead truck, you know, it was always Cessnas and Archers, mm -hmm. and you know, right. all the and right. and every single one of those airplanes that you refuel, you would always pull up to the nose. Yeah, every mm -hmm. time. Right. And so, what do I do when I drive over to this DC three? Is I pull up to the nose. <laughs> and then look up and like the pilot. It was funny because the pilot did exactly what I would have done, and then stand there and think to myself. I got to see how this is going to work out. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, he finally kind of walked over to me and he says, hey, have you ever fueled this before? And I said, no. And I'll be honest with you, I have no idea what I'm doing right now. Yeah. And he said, well, let me help you out. He yeah. said, first thing, I'd pull my truck over here, you right, know. And right, so, yeah. you know, yeah, you feel kind of like a dumbass. Uh, but initially, I should have just pulled up and said, hey, yeah. this is my first time fueling this aircraft and, yeah. and I don't want to screw it up. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, and and you have to have a little bit of thick skin because most pilots that I know are, are a little sarcastic oh, and they're going to oh, rib yeah. you a little bit and you, you just got to roll with the punches. And, and certainly I think that pilots appreciate it sometimes when you rib them a little bit back and it kind of yeah. puts everybody in perspective. Yeah. Everyone kind of, you know, yeah. You pull up and be like, bit. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were a seven, four, seven pilot. <laughs> well, right. and you know, as a trainer, with a low life truck, a trainer, the worst type of people I would get, to train on the ramp were the 19 year olds not far out of high school who thought they knew everything oh, and yeah. when you were training them they would interrupt you and go oh i know i know i know and finally i'd have to be like okay why don't you tell me <laughs> what you know because i'm trying to tell you and you keep telling me you know right oh well 
well, weren't you gonna? T-? I'm like, no. So why don't you just <laughs> shut your fat mouth and listen to what I'm saying, right? And put it into action, you know. So any asking questions, yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, ask questions, hand and arm signals. I think just look professional. Yeah. It, and you're rolling around in the jet fuel and the oil all day, and, and yeah. usually your your uniforms end up looking like crap by the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and just I, I I always want to look professional. I, yeah. I want to, you know, if usually if you take a spare shirt to work and, and change halfway through your shift, so you know you're back to looking somewhat presentable to somebody mm-hmm. who rolls up in a fifty million dollar airplane. Yeah, yeah, right. You don't look like a oil right. changer at the Jiffy Lube. Yeah, <laughs> no, for sure. You yeah. don't want to look. Yeah, no, it, it definitely, and and the whole part too is just. The only way you're going to learn how to do all these things again is just go do it. Like, you need your training. Um, it's like Hess said, you know, you jump in the truck, you go over there, and just go go figure it out. Ask questions. You know, if you sit in the line shack when you don't know how to do something but something needs to be done, you're never going to learn how to do it. You're never going to be successful. Just go learn how to do it. There's There was many times I can remember – being called to go do something on the ramp that I, yeah, I'd seen it in a training manual. I'd seen it in training, but I had no clue how it was in real life. And I just had to go do it. And that's how you learn. So don't be afraid to to just go do it. Yeah. And I've never seen a single fuel truck or tug or anything out there on the line that only had one seat. And so oftentimes when you guys you were go. playing yeah. pens and trying to decide who was going to go do what, yep. I would always, if I was yep. the junior guy and I didn't know what this guy was about to go do, go get in that empty seat and yep. go with him. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Very true. Perfect. Yep. Well, cool. Well, Tony, should we do, got, yeah, do you have anything, Tony, or should we... we just knock this aircraft challenge out real quick? Uh, just one last thing I want to add um, about yeah. working out at Salt Lake International is – I always used to love getting called over to the west side because it knew I was going to be away from the line shack for at least an hour. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It did make that drive around. And, right. Yeah, that's that's crazy. All right. So, uh, no, that's all I had to add. So, uh, cool. Hess, thank you so, so much. Um, and um, we're just going to kick you out right now and do the – no, I'm kidding. We, we – uh, um, yeah, <laughs> there's the door. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that your aircraft challenge wouldn't work with a fourth anyway, because if it ended up being a tie, you'd have to flip a coin and you'd piss off half the group. <laughs> well, we're going to do an experiment, and that's exactly what we're going to do. We'd I know. like you to yeah. stick around so we'll, for the challenge. We'll involve Hess on the aircraft yes. challenge this time, but... What but we're his gonna, vote doesn't count. What we're going to do is, <laughs> it's just not going to count, but we're going to get his opinion. <laughs> uh, can I do got a coin just in case we get ties? Yeah, no, no doubt. Okay, um, cool. So We're going southwest well, region. Um, they probably can't hear you from over there, Ryan, so you probably need to come over here. Here, let's... let's really go that far away? Well, if you're over on the side, the mic will pick you up, dumbass. Okay, how's that? Which right, one are we doing? We can't, right, southwest. Okay. All right, then just hold it here or something. Okay. Just make sure I'll, I'll that just say you're over here. Have going against each other. Okay. All right, Tony, we're going southwest region. Southwest region. Here round. we go. First round. Um, got the classic F-16 uh, going up against the B-36. The Peacemaker. The Peacemaker. Now, that's um, this is the second round, or that was the first round? It's that. 
It's actually the third it's round the of third Southwest, round. right? There's no more buys. For it. I think he just accidentally misspoke. Okay, it so was... this is the... But this is like the Southwest Division second round, correct? Because we already did the yep. first round of everything. Okay, cool. Correct. Cool. Um, I'll just go first since I'm naming these off, but um, and we'll take turns going first. Um, <laughs> the F-16 versus the B-36. Yeah, we, just, no. we just said every, that. Every time I look at these, I try <laughs> to think hard. about which one, and they're hard. Um, I do love the F-16. The good old, ever since I've been seeing the Thunderbirds, that's what they've been flying. Oh, that B-36, though, is such a cool aircraft. Um, yeah, d- designed right out of World War II to replace the B-29. Yeah, and I'm thinking here, Hess is probably going to go with his Iron Eagle aircraft. Chubby! Um, <laughs> yeah. I bet you guys think you're funny, huh? You know what? I... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm going with the F-16. Oh yeah, I'm going with it. Yep, F-16. It's just, it's just been the most common fighter since I was a kid that I've seen fly. Yeah, um, I just love it. I'm going F-16. Well, and it's, I mean, it's still badass. Um, to- Tony next or me? You want me to go next? Yeah, go ahead, brother. So I remember living just south of Hill Air Force Base, Utah, in uh, Layton, Utah, uh, when. Uh, it was either the, I think it was the 388th or it was either the 419th, but they transitioned from the F-105 Thunder Chiefs over to the F-16s. And just looking and seeing those things fly was absolutely amazing. Now, I I remember the movie we talked about, Strategic Air Command, that had the B-36s and the B-47s in it. But I actually traveled to the, um... Strategic Air Command Museum in Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, they have a nice. B 36 there. And that was one I've of the. I've seen that and been there as well. Uh, it was just one of the coolest. That thing is just massive. And the fact that they combined a prop engine with a jet engine. And it's just, I don't know. I'm, I love the F 16 Fighting Falcon. Um, Really sad about Chappie, but uh, I I I need to go with the B thirty six Peacemaker. I have to. B seventeen. Oh no, that's B twenty nine. Ryan Ryan and Hess are looking at photos of of the of B thirty six. You know, man, it is tough because I the F sixteen is awesome. It's still one of the greatest fighters of all time. There's so many of them that have been produced. And new, they're still being built brand new for countries all mm-hmm. over the world. Right. Um, um, the B-36 is impressive. Its size, you know, six pusher prop engines with four turbojet engines. Um, you know, it's, it's almost kind of like a bastard of an airplane. <laughs> it just looks like they wanted to, you know, Convair is the one that built it. They, they wanted to throw everything into the aircraft. Well, and it's like um, they put the props on, and it wasn't enough. Here, let's just add some jet engines. <laughs> I know, seriously, because it weighed so much. I know. Uh, fully loaded. It was nuclear bomb capable. Um, they even made a version of it that they tested to be nuclear powered, which is crazy. Wow. Um, I believe it was called the B-36H, if if I recall. Um, but, uh, you know, it is a tough one. 
Um, but as unique as the B36 is, I'm probably going to have to pick the B36 just because it is, it, it's awesome looking. I still have never seen a B36 in person. I know that the closest one to us is the Pima Air and Space Museum. They have one now uh, that wasn't there last time I was there. Oh, wow. So That's we'll cool. Have to make a tri- yeah, we'll have to make a trip down there to see it. Um, but once again, another Convair aircraft makes it through. I think they made some of the most badass aircraft of the they, 50s and they 60s. They really did. I just love you that know? era. Okay, Hess, uh, what do you think? I think that I'm a big fan of aircraft that were designed with a slide roll. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously. Right. When you start talking about these modern aircraft and how they're all com- designed in a computer first, when when you look at something as massive as a B-36 and, and just yeah. seeing that thing lift off the ground is just mind-boggling and and you know you can lump that in with other air, large aircraft like the c5 and yeah even even the old c141s mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah. just it is so impressive to me how quickly advances uh, in aviation were from the time that the wright brothers you know yeah flew a couple hundred feet uh, to something like the b36 yeah uh no. Well, and it was less than 50 years we broke the sound barrier yeah. right. when the Wright brothers first flew. Right. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. When you look at the F-16, it's awesome. Um, flying in combat, I've, I've had F-16s covering my six in the helicopter, you know. <laughs> That's so awesome. F-16s and F-16 drivers have a special place in my heart. Um, uh, but uh, is is far as I'm concerned, I think that the B-36 would be something that I would mm-hmm. pick over the F-16 just from the sheer amazement of mm-hmm. designing something with a, a sharp pencil and a ruler. <laughs> yeah. And you know, what's funny is the F-16, it, it was probably designed with a sharp pencil and a ruler too, because that, that was from the 70s. Yeah. You know, but... but well, I, that, I totally that, get your. I totally get your point, though. Yeah. The technology back when the B thirty six was made is nothing like even the seventies. Well, and, and, it is and, crazy they're able to put something together like that. And when we, we when we lived uh, south of Hill Air wait, Force wait. Base, that was like in the nineteen. That was like nineteen seventy eight, seventy nine. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, and, and I'll add this as well: the B thirty six is just proof that given enough thrust, you can make a barn door fly. <laughs> so you know pretty massive it, there it, it reminds me of probably like a home improvement thing tim allen sitting there going more power yeah. <laughs> we'll get this thing off the ground <laughs> yeah. yeah they got the binford series 6500 engines on it you know well, i was funny. looking at this photo comparison oh, i didn't realize it was that much bigger than oh, the b29 it was huge yeah. wow all right so b36 moving on all right um, Sorry, Ryan. Next round, we got the P-38, the lightning, uh, not the lightning, <laughs> not, duh. Not the duh. <laughs> um, and, oh, the classic uh, DC-10. Yeah. Oh, Very cool. wow. I went first last time, so who's going first this Tony, time? Tony, uh, you go first this All time. All right. Um, <clears throat> I got to say the DC-10. I I had several models uh, of the DC-10 when I was a kid, just in different uh, airline liveries. Um, flying on one of those things, seeing them fly, 
it's just again it's a it's a unique looking aircraft who would have thought to put an engine on the tail and i know know. you know and and i think that that aircraft looks even cooler than the l-1011 and i think the l-1011 is a badass looking airplane but um Mm -hmm. i i have to go with the dc-10 just love it i just love the look it's it's actually i would say probably my favorite commercial aircraft is the dc-10 and of course you know the the variations so right yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah, that having that. Do you want me to just go next? Yeah, I guess fine. we'll just go in this order. Um, yeah, the DC-10 is probably one of those iconic silhouette aircraft, kind of like the 747. Right. Where you know you see it, you you know it's a DC-10 or an MD-11, which is the newer version of the DC-10. Mm-hmm. Um, more capacity, bigger wingspan. Um, but Wingless. yeah, that cla- that classic DC-10 look. Um, with the tail, you know, the number two engine on the tail, having de-iced a DC-10 too with the number two engine running. I, I may have talked I, about that story. I remember that story. Podcast. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, um, I've always loved the DC-10 as well. Uh, the P-38 Lightning is is pretty badass, and it did well for the U.S. for, for us in, in World War II. Um, it was actually... Now, I hope I get the story right, but it was a P-38 that actually shot down Admiral Yamamoto's um, aircraft, I believe, somewhere over in the Pacific. Oh, you guys wow. remember that story? I th- it, it, was, I it was one of the Japanese higher-ups. I want to say it was um, Admiral Yamamoto, the guy that was in charge of, of the Pearl Harbor attack. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a special P-38 mission where they outfitted these P-38s with as much fuel and probably even drop tanks and everything. And anyway, and, and they, they actually flew this mission. They had some intelligence. So P-38's badass, but I definitely, I'll have to go with the DC-10 just because of the classic look and just, I, I love seeing it fly. You know, FedEx and uh, UPS still fly them into Salt Lake City. Well, at least um, FedEx flies their uh, their dc-10s they're now called md-10s because of some modifications but right but uh and i see the md-11s ups flies md-11s and fedex all the time into salt lake city so i'll see them fly over the head all the time i love that so dc-10 for sure cool go ahead i'll go last uh let's see the forktail devil (laughs) the dc-10 um I'm with you, Tony. I, I think that uh, the the center mounted engine is is quite impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, it just is it it is that look. Although, as you guys were talking about previously about United two thirty two that cartwheeled into Sioux mm-hmm. City, yep, a little bit of a design flaw there. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, you know, Captain Al Haynes, who was the captain of that aircraft, you know, surviving the crash and then going around and and doing some motivational speaking and whatnot. He's mm-hmm. just a cool cat mm-hmm. um i flew on a dc-10 i've also flown on uh md-11s and l-1011s and, <laughs> that's uh, cool one of the trips overseas i went on uh you know they those wide bodies that had five seats in the center and yeah two aisles oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's awesome i remember one of the, my flights overseas i had an entire section of five seats to myself so oh, I was nice. able to lay across the whole thing it's <laughs> just again a, a massive aircraft and it, it, how does it even get off the ground uh, yeah. right yeah 
Um, yeah, I, I flew to I flew to Hawaii once on a DC-10 and had the same thing. I had the entire row to myself. It was awesome. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's and you can't get that in a P thirty eight. Nope, you can't. Um, you could you could outside, but it'd be a little windy. <laughs> right. On the on the tail, you could stretch out. A bit, but, yeah, a bit. Yeah, and I know. Well, even the P thirty eight had some design flaws. You know, they had issues when they would get into a dive. They get that compressibility on that. Yeah, on the, that's right. On mm-hmm. the elevator in the back, and they would end up augering in. Oh, um, yeah. But. Uh, uh, long story uh, shorter is that I would pick the DC-10 over the P-38 to move on in your uh, aircraft challenge. Okay. So well, since that's three, my vote doesn't really matter, but <laughs> I was going to pick the DC-10 anyway. Um, hey, I'm so unanimous. One. I went on a Sun Country DC-10 to Hawaii that it seemed like they removed a lot of things in the cabin so they could fit more seats mm-hmm. because that, I didn't have rows to myself. That thing was packed to the... I mean, I couldn't believe how many people got on and off that thing. Oh, um, yeah, those charter flights, they pack them to the gills. Yeah, because it was one of those uh, <laughs> discount things where you get, like, the flight in the hotel. and Anyway, but we flew, uh, you know, non. we stopped in L.A. on the way, but the way back was nonstop. Well, once they figured out how to keep the cargo doors from blowing off in flight and the engine staying on the pylon. <laughs> yeah, no shit. You guys you remember that picture? Uh, the, oh, the yeah. The one that took off from Chicago yep. and lost the engine. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was because maintenance installed the engine incorrectly. That's mm-hmm. right. And the bolts broke yeah. and it gave way on takeoff. That's the right. worst possible time oh. you could have that happen because not only did the engine fall off, which totally screwed up the, the, the thrust balance between each side of the, both sides of the aircraft, but it also broke the hydraulic lines, which um, retracted the slats on that side. So that wing completely lost lift mm-hmm. compared to the other side. And that's why right. it rolled over on its, on yep. its top. Yeah. Mm. I mean, yeah. spinning a 152 is pretty easy, but <laughs> spinning a DC-10 is probably not the best idea. Yeah. Probably a little different. Yeah, um, I need a little more altitude yeah, so, to recover from so that. I, right. DCT, DCT. DCT. DC-10 will move on. Um that was pretty unanimous. I just think it's a pretty badass looking aircraft. But um, all right, next round uh, we have the B one, the uh, going against the Harrier. So I think I think Aaron's that, first. That would, yeah, Tony went. Okay, so first. you're first now. Yep. And then... Um, I used to service the Harriers all the time when I worked at uh, Phoenix Mesa Gateway Airport, and those pilots were cool. You know the capability of the Harrier. For those that you know, it's you know it's a it's a VTOL aircraft. It can it can take off and land vertically. Um, it's super fast. Um, one of the Harrier pilots actually told me that it's it's faster than an F-16 from wheels stopped on the runway for takeoff to like 500 knots or something. Oh really? Um, and one of the reasons is because they can be rolling and then they can just get off the runway and clean and it up go. and just haul ass a lot faster than an F-16. So um, love that. The B- the B-1, though, I, I'll i just say I'm going with the B-1 because it, it's probably one of the most badass aircraft that, that was ever designed. Um, you know, supersonic bomber, four big jet engines, you know, afterburning engines swing wing design um it actually um 
holds more payload than a B-52 or a B-2. Um, it, I mean, I don't even know what to say other than that. I mean, it's just, right. it's, it's badass. The B-1, um, the pilots call it the bone and, and it's called the Lancer, but, uh, you know, definitely the B-1. I love seeing it fly. Um, always have. I actually saw one do do a roll at an air show one time um, <laughs> down at Nellis Air Force Base. It did a one of you guys had to have been there with me. I think I was. And yeah. it did it did like a you know full afterburner flyby and then just pulled up and rolled yeah, onto I think its. I was there oh, it was badass. Yeah. But anyway, so, wow. so yeah, I'm definitely going B one, even though I I love the Marine Corps Harrier. Okay. Uh, who's second now? Hess. Hess has been going Hess, after me, Hess. so. And then me. Um, I, I, here's my opinion on the Harrier. Uh, you guys, you know that I had an issue with something they called hot gas ingestion, mm-hmm. where you know that downward thrust would circle around in front and, and be recycled through the engine. Mm-hmm. Usually, you know, reduces performance in the aircraft. So, and plus it kind of infringes on the helicopter world and that's why i'm not a big fan of the harrier <laughs> i'm not a big fan of the v22 uh because come on stay in your lane, <laughs> stay in your lane. <laughs> um, i remember going down to nellis air force base flying missions and uh with red flag uh-huh. and the black hawk yeah yeah and on days that i wasn't part of the sortie i'd go out to the flight line anyway and i would just sit there in a lawn chair oh. and watch the strike oh, packages yeah. taxi by yeah, and awesome. i remember just seeing b1 after b1 taxi by oh, yeah. you know ready for takeoff their their wings extended flaps down and they're just rolling by doing you know five ten miles per hour and it it just looked sexy going 10 knots oh yeah you yeah know what i mean yeah. and and to see it roll out onto the runway and and you know hold your feet on the brakes and slide those throttles to the stop and watch it not only watch it roll down the one way, runway, but you could feel it roll down the runway. Yeah. Just oh, that yeah. pounding yeah, in your chest power. as those afterburners were just yeah. just kicking. Um, I've always been a big fan of, of the B1. Yeah. And certainly up against the Harrier, the Harrier doesn't have a shot in the yeah. dark yeah. against the B1. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, Harrier. All right. Um, well, I'll just say, I'll make it quick. I, I remember the first time I saw a Harrier out at the Wendover Air Races in Utah. It's the first time I ever saw an aircraft do a yeah back in the late '80s. I, I remember we were all we were all there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was pretty impressed and thought it was cool. But the B1, that's that's probably the only aircraft on this whole challenge that I don't care what it goes up against. That'll be my vote because <laughs> I think the B1, the is, B1 is one of the coolest aircraft ever designed. I love how the wings can sweep back the engines. Um, I don't know. It just, to me, it's just like the, the top of the line sports car of the aviation industry yeah. to me. So I'd definitely go on B1. So. Well, and the fact that they use, the way that they use the B1 nowadays too, I mean, they designed it as a, as a fast nuclear strike bomber, um, you know, terrain following all that kind of like the F-111 was designed, but but uh, the cool thing about the B-1 is, you know, in Afghanistan, Iraq, like they would just load up these B-1s with all kinds of ordnance mm-hmm. and it would just loiter. And then when they needed air support, 
the B1 would haul ass supersonic to wherever it needed to go and just blast the shit out of the enemy. Yeah, and see, to me, cool. just those stories reading <laughs> about those just gives me chills. Yeah. So, yeah, B1. All right, Tony, let's hear your thoughts. <clears throat> All right, so... Um... My vote obviously doesn't matter. I do want to point out the fact that uh, Mitsubishi came out with their version of the Lancer, and it wasn't quite as sexy looking or successful. <laughs> yeah, you're um, right. <laughs> so, Did you drive one? <laughs> no. Um, Whatever. But <laughs> it was a I little know. unimpressive. <laughs> right, exactly. No, I... I love the Harrier. I was out at the Wendover Air Races. That was that time, you guys, when I flew out there on the uh, DC-3. That's and right. Yeah. I was helping Majestic out. Majestic Air DC-3. Yep, working with the ramp and everything. But, um, but yeah. We, post, we posted a picture of that, you marshalling in, in the <laughs> DC-3. That's yeah, right. and you had a tank top on, too. Tank top and short shorts. Dude, it was like 1988. So, hey, you well, know. You would pass Hess's dress code out there on the ramp let's say (laughs) well but here (laughs) the funny thing about that uh, the funny thing about that is i was out actually out there just to watch and just to spectate i got to fly out there and i um, I remember that and i remember that like there were like only one or two line guys out there and there was a uh um, an F-86 waiting to taxi and it was just waiting and waiting and nobody came out. So finally I just ran out there and marshaled it in and got them parked. And, oh, really? Yeah, and ended up pretty much working the rest of the day, um, you know, just doing that and helping fueling. And so I wasn't I wasn't expecting to work, but it ended up happening anyway. So, um, nice. but I'll be really, I'll be really quick. I, I agree with you guys 110%. Um, about the uh, the B one, absolutely, it's the coolest thing. I I'm in St. George, Utah, which is about an hour and a half north of Las Vegas. And when I'm when I'm either down in Vegas or driving through, it's like about every third trip I get to see a, a B one. Um, you know, either in mm-hmm. the pattern to land or you see a bunch of them parked on the east side of the ramp there at Nellis. Um, mm-hmm. So one thing that's interesting that's really sad that, uh, you know, we're going to be investing in the B-52 so it can fly into the 2030s or whatever. 2040s. 2040s. So I read an article recently that Russia has made the same type of investment, but in their TU-22 backfires. So they're gonna you know have what? they're gonna have a supersonic uh, nuclear strike capable aircraft, and we're not. Yeah, you know what? And they're even upgrading and working on building brand new TU-160s right. as well, which is the copy of the B-1. Exactly. So <laughs> I just I just find it really interesting and sad that that we would retire our supersonic deterrent, yeah. quote unquote. But uh, anyway, so so yeah, definitely the B-1. Sorry to go on there. So no, it's no, and, that's cool. And here's something I'm gonna add. I just looked up. It was initially designed just to carry nuclear weapons, and it wasn't first used until '98. Yeah, because the, the the program was actually the B-1A. Yep. And it was canceled and re- and resurrected in the early '80s, and then the B-1B came back. Um, with that was the the design that the Air Force actually purchased. But yeah, it was canceled. The B-1A was bigger and faster. Yep. Um, 
but the Air Force, you know, and for I remember reason. I remember seeing them uh, painted in the Air Force white colors. Remember yeah, that? that's right. The yep. B1As were, mm-hmm. were painted so white. During the first six months of the war in Afghanistan, eight B1 bombers dropped nearly 40% of the total tonnage of bombs. That's badass. <laughs> that, that is pretty cool. crazy. So anyway, all right. All right. We'll so the final two of this round? Yep. yep. Um, we're going a little bit back in time here. The B-17 going up against the Hawker Sea Fury. Mm. Oh, wow. So... Ryan's first. Ryan. Oh, yes. That's his first. Not used I've, to having a fourth. I've never know, been first before. A fourth will here. <laughs> you're not first, you're last. <laughs> um, I, uh, I remember seeing a Hawker Sea Fury at one of the air shows I went to, and I remember the distinct sound of that aircraft <laughs> yeah, yeah, when it yeah. would do its flybys. It just it sounded awesome. Um, it, you know, an old-time fighter-type aircraft. The B-17, of course, you, you can't talk about B-17s without Memphis Bell, that awesome movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and the, the struggles that the early B-17s had, you know, the prototype when they were doing the demonstration to the government saying, hey, this is your next bomber, and then they crashed it in front of everybody. Yeah. Um, and then to have the aircraft still be selected as the yeah. next uh, bomber after crashing it in front of the selection board. <laughs> Uh, said a lot about the airplane, and mm-hmm. it also said a lot about pilot walk around, uh, because you know he left the gust lock in, and that's why it crashed. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Jeez. Yeah, they, crazy. They crashed it just after takeoff because he left the gust lock in the aircraft. Oh jeez. Um, I I like the B seventeen over the Hawker Sea Fury just because it, it it is an icon. Um, in wars previous to the modern era, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know you see pictures of you know, 40 or 50 of them all in formation with the contrails coming off oh, the back yeah. of them. Oh, and, you know, yeah. you think about, you think about the P-51s kind of circling around mm-hmm. as, uh, mm-hmm. you know, cover for those guys and just the sheer firepower that, that it self-sustains. Yeah. Tail gunners and door gunners and chin gunners and yep. hip gunners and waist gunners and nose gunners. And the it's man like, power that my God, the ball turret underneath. Yeah, oh, it was man. just, yeah. it was crazy how, how armed that thing was. I know. Um, so I picked B-17. Okay. Um, so I think I'll go. Yeah, you're yep. um, You know, I'll, I'll just make it quick. I, I'm going to pick the B-17 as well, just for everything that has just said. Um, and I'll also second the sound of the CFR. I remember I had never seen one fly up until I was at an air show until I was about 18, I think. I never remember seeing one fly. And I remember hearing the noise and going, kind of aircraft is that because yeah. that sounds awesome well and the classic sea fury had the 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 five blade the prop blades, in the yeah. front oh yeah so i do love it i think it's cool i'll admit that i don't know a ton about it historically mm-hmm. but i know a lot about the b-17 i'm pretty sure the sea fury isn't more historic than the b-17 no. yeah. um so i'm gonna take the b-17 did the did the Blue Angels ever fly Sea Furies? I know they started with with they, Hellcats and Bearcats. That that's it because the Sea Fury was actually um, a European aircraft. It was built by the British, uh-huh. and okay. it actually didn't even it, it came out right as World War II was ending and into that period of time between World War II and like and Korea. Know, the Korean War and right. you know, mm-hmm. some different conflicts there. So 
No. It, the, so they would never fly a... No, no, no. They, just they, like Delta shouldn't be flying Airbuses, but you exactly. know, whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or, exactly. or um, American Airlines. Or American, oh, yeah, American Airlines. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least American does have a lot of uh, Dreamliners, which is cool. Yeah, that is really cool. So, but, well, uh, j- just take back that stupid shit I said about <laughs> Blue Angels. That's <laughs> <Edit>. right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, no, yeah. perfect. <laughs> so I was going to go with the Hawker Sea Fury because of, a, again, that, that unique sound that, that just goes through your body when you hear it, when you hear it fly, yeah. when you hear it taxiing. And I just remember that prop being so huge uh, on that aircraft. Um, and yeah, I was going awesome. to pick the Hawker right. Sea Fury before Hess uh, gave me the visual of seeing like 50 of the B-17s flying in formation with the contrails. Um, you know, you, you see that in the movie Memphis Bell. You see that uh, in the movie Red Tails. And, um, and, yeah. and especially in Memphis Bell, I mean, that aircraft is armed to the teeth, but look how vulnerable it was. Yeah. You know, against Definitely. the fighters and that, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and pick the B-17. Aaron, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So the Hawker Sea Fury was one of my most favorite aircraft growing up um, for years. I loved seeing it because it was so big and powerful, sounded awesome, like Hess said. Um, but over the years, I would definitely say that that the B-17, um, having flown in a B-17. Um, I gained a respect for those guys that fought in those. Like I, I just I can't believe it. They would, they would fly with those waist gunner positions, unpressurized. They had oxygen masks on. Right. It was super cold. They're getting shot at. They're shooting at the enemy fighters. Um, you know, at those altitudes, some of them, you know, getting shot up. You know, shot down. You name it. But honestly, like having flown in a B-17, I would have to say the B-17 um, for the challenge because it's, it's impressive. They were able to build that aircraft. It made such a difference in World War II over, over in Europe um, to de- decimate the Nazis. Um, it was a tough aircraft. There were several that would come back with their tails shot off, their... You know, on two engines, uh, you know, you name it. I mean, there's there's all kinds of pictures, you know, you just mm-hmm. look them up. Um, but definitely the B-17. I have so much respect for those guys fighting in those conditions, um, you know, in an aircraft like that. I mean, it's just that little skin um, mm-hmm. on that aircraft that separated them from, you know, that negative yeah. 20 degree temperature yeah, that and, and the say, fighting. It's, it's not 85 degrees up at 25,000 feet. <laughs> yeah, no. That yeah. scene in Memphis Bell, too, where the the one's going down and they're all, oh, good, they got out. We see shoots and all that. And then it hits the tail of the other airplane oh, and splits yeah. it in half. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, can you imagine actually living that and seeing that? Like, I know. That's nuts. Yeah, so. so B seventeen looks okay. like it continues on. Okay, right, we're through on that round, so we'll, have, we'll do either the northeast or the southeast next podcast. But uh, I think we're about out of time. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted I just wanted to say real quick that P thirty eight mission that was flown to uh, shoot down 
uh, Admiral Yamamoto was actually called Operation Vengeance. And um, it was uh, the mission was to take place on April 18th, 1943, and it was P-38s. Nice. Just, just wanted to mention right. that. Confirmation, brother. All right. Want to wanna thank our special guest, uh, Hess, for joining us today. Great, uh, great conversation, great stories. Uh, we'll start off with you. Uh, tell everybody once again where they can find you on social media. Uh, my Instagram is spinny side up. Um, and then I've got a Facebook page as well that is uh, conveniently called Ken Hess. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very unique. I like it. <laughs> All right, Ryan, okay. go ahead. At Rum, follow me on Instagram. And also, obviously, don't forget to follow us on Ramp Check Global, which is at Ramp Check Global. Aaron? That's right. And then my Instagram is at Aaron Rum Follow. And of course, follow at Ramp Check Global. Um, I'm actually going to be posting some pictures of uh, I was actually there when Hess had his last Blackhawk flight before he retired. And I'll post some pictures and a few videos that I got of that uh, actual mission. So I'll post that and that'll yeah. be cool. It okay. looked a lot cooler from the inside, just so you know. <laughs> 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 all right um oh by the way we hit a milestone on our instagram page uh we're up over 200 followers now so uh thank you everybody for um for following us on instagram again that's at ramp check global uh and we want to thank all six of you for listening to the podcast hopefully we can get those numbers up as i'm kidding we've got uh, a lot but uh so find us on instagram at rec- ramp check global global um i am at t rum follow on instagram you can uh, follow me there as well and of course uh, the ramp check global podcast the ramp check podcast is available on uh google play uh soundcloud and of course um apple podcasts and when you listen please share it with a friend uh rate us give us a five star rating and um please subscribe as well. And uh, that does it for all of us. want to say thank you again for listening to the Ramp Check Podcast. And uh, Ryan, it's your time for the send-off. All I want to say for the send-off about the 200 followers on Instagram, Owen Wilson, wow. We'll see everybody <laughs> next time.